Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here, along with the GM, Randy Mueller. Randy, how you doing? Doing great, Mike. Ready for Christmas, ready for the holidays. Great time of year. A little more NFL. A few more yeah. of our days get filled up, but I love it, and uh, that's why we're here, right? Well, yeah, what do you think about that? We got So there's three NFL games on Christmas Day, yeah. and I think there's five NBA. I mean, the, the floodgates have opened here a little bit. There will be some in some houses who don't like that. I know that for a yeah. fact. But oh, yeah. there are some of us that will, and, and I think you're an NBA guy too, right? I like the NBA, uh, yeah, so I, I, like will, the NBA. Yeah. I will watch it. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to squeeze it in between NFL games, except that I am not a Peacock subscriber. So uh, when does that come into play? Isn't there a game, is it this weekend that's only on Peacock? I'm, I'm bad on that, but fortunately and unfortunately, I think my wife has subscribed us to every possible thing that, that exists. <laughs> so I'm usually covered on these things. Uh, uh, I, hear you. I think we. I don't. I don't know though. Yeah, that this stuff does come into play. I feel like I've got. I did. I did make the switch to YouTube TV this year. You're on YouTube TV, right? Yeah. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. No problem. So hey, I got that. Me, this is off the beaten path, but you're talking about all these subscriptions to all these streaming. Uh-huh. Aren't we kind of re-engineering cable TV? Yeah. Oh, is yeah. that the whole idea? It's completely no. re-engineering it, right, from the backwards well, in. But what's happening now is people are like, you know what? I think we could bundle some of these things and save yeah. some money. You're seeing yeah. these companies come together. We're going to be right back yeah. to where we were before. With All of a cable, sudden, it's the college transfer portal. It's everything's on the board. You you can, hey, you can do anything. You know. I tell you what I love, though. To me, just having these games in HD is so great. How did you guys used to watch the film back in the projector days, Randy? Could you even see anything? I didn't mean <laughs> how to do, How did like we watch that, the film but, win? Uh, well, I'm saying this. I can remember when we went to HGTV in about the mid-2000s, okay, about 2005, and I was right. a beat reporter at the time, and you couldn't record in you couldn't record in that resolution, so you couldn't, even if, if it was broadcast that I would record the game when I got home, I'd want to watch it, you couldn't see it. So to me, being able to have all of the film, now, even the films in HD now, uh, right. it's amazing. You can see a lot. I wondered how they yeah. used to do it back in the day when you were at the Seahawks and Tom Firmstad was coming back with the 16 millimeter films, uh, where, where Al Davis snipped out three of the key plays of the game. I mean, could you even see anything? The experts could, because I became the guy who everybody brought their film to to <laughs> glue it back together. In, in those days, when you'd watch the, the film, when you'd yeah. watch the film, yeah. you could take it yeah. back and forth six times and it melts through it. The light <laughs> melted through it because it's on a projector. So I was the fixer. I've always been the fixer. They just bring it to me and I'd fix it up. Most coaches can do it too, but anybody in the scouting end would just say, hey, Randy, fix this for me. And so I I became an expert on fixing, not videotape, fixing film per se. You know, that's great to know because I think we have some old family films from, you know, from 50 years (laughs) ago. millimeter? Yeah, they're sitting in a box here. I'm going to come over. I'm going to have you look at these and get these (laughs) together for me. I appreciate that. Appreciate you offering your Here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Put them in that box, like you just said, yeah, and then yeah. take them somewhere where they can make you a CD. Everybody oh, does yeah, it. Yeah, we yeah. did it 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. So I've you done, don't have I've to have the some film. Of that stuff too. Yeah. But I've you're right. On, yeah. It is a, it's a way to keep it that, yeah. you know, yeah. most yeah. fought anyway, in the early I like days. Anyway, yeah. I like all the general TV setup. I like the games. I yeah. like being able to watch them in the high quality. I got one of those OLED TVs. You know, it's great, man. I could see everything. Yeah. I, I just like staring at it. Even if there's even if there's not even anything good on, I just like to look at it. So, Unless I'm a Saints fan uh, in the game last Ooh, night, Randy. Yeah. Rams 30, Saints 22. It wasn't that close. And we'll get to the scores, Saints. Yeah. yeah, we'll get to the Saints in a minute, but there's a lot of buzz around the Rams right now. And if the playoffs started today... The Rams would visit the Lions, which would be delicious because we'd have Stafford against Goff. We'd have Goff against McVay. Uh, and really, Randy, I think I know the answer, but who would you rather be right now, the Lions or the Rams in that matchup? Amazing. Well, I would rather be the Rams for sure um, because I think mm-hmm. all the pressure is on Detroit. And I agree with you. The Rams are a little bit of a 
spoiler, much like Buffalo is in the AFC, where I don't know a lot of teams that are going to want to play him. I think people actually fear McVay. I think they mm-hmm. fear his scheme. And I think they obviously fear Matthew Stafford. Because you can say whatever you want about Stafford, and it always ends with, well, if you can keep him upright, or well, if you can keep him healthy. He's throwing the ball really good, maybe as good as anybody in the league right now. And he's got weapons on the perimeter. We know that. We've seen that. Um, So, yeah, I I would rather be the Rams. I think the telecast did did right last night by spotlighting Les Snead as well, because I think Les has done a really good job of drafting in mid to late rounds. And that's that's an art. That's a skill. And I think the Rams have done, and a lot of it's because they've had to, so they've kept players that maybe some wouldn't, but they've had to be patient and they've had to hit on those guys. And I think for the most part, the Rams have have built around some cap issues to find a way to still be relevant. But I agree with you. I think it'd be fascinating if the Rams go to Detroit and have to play. Because I, I think Detroit is kind of, I don't want to say leaking oil, but they're still learning how to deal with prosperity, adversity, all the things that young teams do, including the coach. And and I think the Rams would go in there with house money, throw caution to the wind, and just spin it all over the place. And now, with this Williams kid at running back, they can run the ball now. He runs downhill as good as anybody in the league right now. So I like where the Rams are, for sure. That's what I'm noticing is, I feel like when they when Sean McVay got Matthew Stafford, he went a little overboard with the drop-back pass game, fell in love with it, and he got his quarterback hurt, you know, and they didn't, they probably didn't have, you know, Pukunuku and some of the pieces that they have now The running back might've been a little bit more in flux, but, uh, I feel like the lessons McVeigh learned, uh, last year when he kind of had his existential crisis and was thinking about retiring or walking away and all that, I think he's back. I think he's fully engaged. And I think with this run game, He's, he's just sort of recalibrated his equilibrium in everything, in his coaching, in his life. We know he's yep. he's uh, married and has a child now. And then yep. in his run game bounce, like there's this is a balanced Sean McVay to me. Like he's yep. on it. And that run game is a huge component for Matthew Stafford. How many times do we see Matthew Stafford sort of have to do too much when he was with Detroit or even last year with the Rams? He's got He looks great. He looks yep. healthy. He looks vibrant, doesn't he? Yeah, 100%. I totally agree. I think the the part that I kind of jumped out at me last night in all of this chaos that we now see with St- the Steelers and their receiver room, did yeah. you see the blocking? And it was pointed out on the telecast as well. The blocking oh, that no. the Rams receivers do, and we highlighted it early on in the season with Nakua oh, yeah. as as part of, this is a bigger dude, right? He, he, yeah. he will block. He'll put his body on people. Um, all of their receivers are asked to be involved in the run game, and I think you see the results of that. And yes, that is a credit to a reconnected, a recommitted, I think you're right, in Sean McVay. Um, just seems like he's having fun again. And people need to understand, this job is hard, man. Being a head coach is hard. Being a GM is really hard. And it is a weekly grind with the world kind of trying to pick you apart all day, every day. And we all have years like that. We all have times like that where you just say, shit, I don't know if I want to do this. I know the money's great. And everybody says, oh, I would do it. The guy's getting paid $10 million, whatever. It's, It's different when you're in that chair because it is a burden. And I think sometimes the burden gets heavy. We're all human. And I'm not making excuses for guys to not give effort or or take a sabbatical. That's not right, it. Right. I'm just saying, I understand when we have lulls in in a lot of our you know, ways we do things and our processes. And maybe that's what happened to Sean. I agree with you. I think he's back. I think they are exciting to watch. And I think whoever they play in the playoffs, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a really tough out. The Rams are gonna be a tough out. You know that what you said there about the you know the Steelers receivers issues, and then uh, you know the contrast to how the Rams receivers plays. To play wide receiver for Sean McVay's offense, you have to block. That's always been a thing. Yep. Cooper Cup is a two hundred pound guy, six two. You know, yep. a bigger guy. And remember, Robert Woods was there. You know, it wasn't yep. like Robert Woods was the absolute best at this or that of as a route runner or a deep threat. But he blocked. He really fit their yep. system. I think culturally that is an awesome thing because, as you know, when you watch, uh, you watch to see the business decisions that are or not uh, and are not made. Right, the way people tackle. Like I thought, I thought one of the big changes of why Seattle won the game against the Eagles was suddenly their corners wanted to tackle, and they've had to bench Tyreek Willen because yeah, they don't tackle. Yeah, 
He wouldn't tackle. But that, to me, those types of things are the vital signs of your program, right? How you're, mm-hmm. how you tackle in the secondary, how you block at wide receiver. Isn't that a big yep. indicator? Well, it's a giant indicator, and that's how you you see these groups. And I think we're seeing it in Pittsburgh now. Groups of divas. And yeah. it just makes you appreciate that there's a lot that goes into playing football. It's not all what everybody just sees, targets, catches, all that stuff. There's a lot of things that are involved. And it makes you appreciate it because I've said for years, culture is not generated by those of us who are the bosses. It's generated by the players in that locker room. And they have yeah. to feel it. And they police each other. That's one of my issues about Pittsburgh is you can try to blame Tomlin. You can try to blame the coaches. And, and there's probably some blame yeah. to go all around. But the players have to they have to police their own locker room. If they can't get their own people in line, because players who don't buy into the culture usually get called out at some point because they can't survive in their own locker room. Not because some GM or a coach comes down on them. It's because the locker room won't take it. Football's interesting like that, Mike. It is a different sport, I think, than basketball or baseball because the players can police their own better than any other sport. It's just the way it is. They can police their own physically because if you're not in mentally, you might get hurt. They may come after you in practice. They may come after you in a game. It, it's They police themselves more so than any other sport. So I think it's definitely yeah. the, the uh, epitome of a team effort to build culture, but it's got to start with guys that get it and their DNA in the locker room. Well, let's flip that around to the Saints because I don't know if you saw Derek Carr's last interception, but he was real slow to get up. Did you see that? Yeah. Slow to get up. And the, but on the replay, it didn't really look like he was uh, lit up, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, that stood out to me in the game yeah. uh, for them and, and what they've put into him at that position. And then there's three times they have fourth down and plus territory. Don't get it thrown short of the sticks on a, on a fourth and whatever it was seven. I don't like the look of that. And we've talked about it. Certainly it was a yeah. subject earlier this season in another primetime game the Saints had. But their their DNA and their culture uh, we don't necessarily see those same things that we're talking about with the Rams around the perimeter or around the, just the way the heart of the way they play, right? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think we've seen it not only in the, in the Thursday night game, but we've seen it throughout the season, especially when it comes to Derek Carr. And we saw it yeah. some when he was with the Raiders. Oh, Here's yeah. the bottom line, though. And I agree with you. I, I struggle to watch it. I struggle to condone yeah. it. But when it is the leader or the so-called leader of your team, it is harder to police. Um, but here's an example of we saw what Sean Payton was able to do in Denver with Russell Wilson in a lot of the same issues that the, their locker room couldn't police Russell Wilson's ego, couldn't police his presence, his his faults. Making too all. much money and just yes, his platform all and all of that. Yeah. It's going to be a different solve, I think, for the New Orleans guys because – uh, but much in the same way, you're talking about Derek Carr, who has a no trade clause, fully no trade, and 30 million guaranteed next year. He's probably going to be on their team, but it surely wouldn't stop me from putting together a plan or at least a succession plan. Uh, and, and that yeah. has to be known, I think, by all involved. And if he doesn't buy in, he can always go elsewhere. That's fine. He's he going to give up some money, which I don't think at the end of the day he'll do. Although when he was questioned, with the Raiders, remember he took his ball and went home. He did, well, when he got benched. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't hang around for any part of that. So I don't know how it'll go. I, I'm with you though. I don't like the the optics. I don't like really what they're doing offensively. But that's a story for another day. I just think they do have some cultural issues when one your best players question, and two your quarterback. There there may be some some locker room issues with him. That's all. I, I don't yeah, know. Your, details, your top but. two paid guys, probably just off the top of my head on offense would be Kamara, probably the running back and Derek yeah. Carr. And I, yeah. I don't know if through style of play, you're getting the visceral component of your team that you necessarily want. Well, and you talked I about that, that. They should be in the market for tight ends and try to do something to get physical in the run game. But there's just unless this lack. is what they want to be. Yeah. Maybe this yeah. is what they want yeah. to be offensively. It wouldn't uh, be what I would want to be, but yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. They're going to have to make me, some so, changes to vision, yeah. to, to, to their vision, uh, a more focused vision on offense, just my opinion. 
Yeah, absolutely. So that'll be an interesting, you know, that's going to be a very interesting place. I think that division, the NFC South, whoever loses that division and doesn't win it is going to have some tough questions to answer. Obviously, Frank <laughs> Let me ask Reich you this. already had to answer those. Yeah. Could, could all of those coaches be changed at some point this year? I know somebody's got to win the division, but it's probably going to be with a sub-500 record. We've already seen Carolina make a change. Could there be changes in the whole? Has yeah. that ever happened before? Yeah, I kind of, yeah, exactly. I thought, uh, yes, I would have, like a week ago, I would say maybe even likely, I think if Tampa Bay is going to go to Green Bay and win and is going to, you know, now if Tampa Bay loses out, that changes it. But I don't know if they feel like a lose-out team to me. They, they've had a success story with Baker Mayfield. And I think I they've been they're they're of those teams, they're probably the one that most outsiders had finishing last in the division. Uh or you know, maybe third, but a lot of people had Carolina above them. I feel like they have outperformed my expectations a little bit while the other ones have fallen short. Do you buy that? Um I guess to a point. I don't think they're uh, a deep playoff run by any means, no. but I guess you can measure progress a lot of different ways. I know they play Jacksonville this week and they could easily lose that game. I don't know what their last two games hold for them, but I assume there's some division games in there at some point. I don't know if they've played New Orleans twice yet. It seems like they played them early on. I know and beat them in New Orleans. Yeah, I got Tampa right here. So Tampa's going to play home Jacksonville, home Saints at Carolina. So to me, I see a two and one finish. Yeah. I think they so. get two of those. I think they're. Jacksonville could be 50-50, Saints could be 60-40, and then it's 75-25 for Carolina. I think they get two wins, and that'll that put them at 9-8, and eight, winning the division mm-hmm. in the playoffs, uh, probably, probably losing in the first round. Yeah, they run yeah, they probably – because I, I sort of have liked what they've done a little bit offensively. It's, to me, they've – Baker Mayfield's one of the few sort of upswing guys in the league, you know? Yeah, I totally so, agree. I mean, you got to give him credit. Going to Lambeau last week, just in one week alone, yeah. having a perfect passer rating, first time it's yeah. ever been done at Lambeau. I, there's been a few quarterbacks play at Lambeau, hasn't there? There's been a couple, a couple yeah. good ones. It's <laughs> yeah. been around a while. Well, no one, none uh, of them have ever done what Baker did, I don't think, so. That's amazing. <laughs> Let's stay on the quarterback theme, Randy, because you sneaked in. You sneaked in a little uh, column this week. Uh, the headline here is 10 NFL draft prospects to watch in bowl games, colon, J.J. McCarthy's big opportunity. Um, I love this column because I am not a draft, Nick. I feel like there's so much, for me, Randy, not being an evaluator and having to rely on other people who do the evaluation, there's so much out there that I've just sort right. of learned to tune it out until kind of uh, – you know, we get closer to the draft and maybe more of the teams have looked at everybody and I have enough contacts with people that I can kind of get a lay of the land. But this is sure. what I love about having you here because it's like having somebody from a team who's looking at it and we can just go to you directly during the season. And so uh, along those lines, my son and a few of his friends would like to thank you, uh, the, the, the Dynasty Fantasy League owners who took Ty Chandler off of your preseason recommendation, would like to thank you. The people that picked up Isaiah Likely, who no one was talking about, would like to thank you. Um, And now I would like to thank you for bringing up some possibilities with J.J. McCarthy being, if he enters the draft, maybe a lot higher. I've heard talk of him, but not in the realm you talked about. I'm going to let you take it away here, but just a little snippet from your column. The film does not lie and his skill set might challenge for the best in this year's class, even perhaps with Caleb Williams. Take it away. Well, I'm not ready to pronounce J.J. McCarthy as the threat to Caleb Williams' throne of number one pick. I I get it. Right now? Yeah. Yeah, right this minute. I think we're we've got to put him in the conversation, but I'll I'll add a couple caveats. One, okay. If the, if the evaluation is 100%, I would say, in I can only speak for myself, I'm about 60% into it. There's still some things that I think he'll pass, but I don't know intangibles. I don't know mental. I don't know the stuff that NFL scouts will know that will be raked through every fine tooth comb will have their say, and, yeah. and that'll all be part of it. I, what I said in the column was that I think if J.J. has a good playoff season in which there's two games left. We know Michigan is up first. Michigan plays Alabama. Let me just remind folks, that's the best college coach in the history of college as far as I'm concerned. And 
maybe the best defensive coach that this guy will have faced any place, any time. So if my point was, if he shows well against Alabama in the playoff game, a Nick Saban coach defense, it's going to get a lot of NFL types running to the film room. And the reason the evaluation isn't necessarily complete, even in NFL film rooms, is because this guy's a redshirt sophomore, three years in the, in, around. Um, as you know, coaches, some GMs don't even dig in until late in the season. Coaches for sure won't dig in until after their season. So yeah. this is a name that you don't hear bandied around because nobody really knows yet. No one's put the spotlight on him. Nobody's really dove in yet. I see a few media projections of this guy maybe be a first-round pick, but I don't think anybody's been bold enough to really dive in. And the other thing is he plays in an offense that it's, it's, it's not archaic, but they run the ball. I mean, they played yeah, yeah. Penn State, and he had 11 passes. So I'm not looking mm-hmm. at that film. I'm not looking at Bowling Green, where he threw three interceptions. You, Whatever. You can have those. I'm looking at recent history, of which the biggest game of his career will be against Alabama. So I, I just see a kid that, skill set-wise, he can run. He's got a rocket for an arm. He's accurate. Um, he can make stuff out of nothing. Uh, I'll clean it up for the yeah. PG version. Um he he send he's in my opinion he has vision for the whole field he can th- beat you from the pocket you know how i am with that oh, they yeah. process they ask of him to process enough information to where hmm i'm i'm thinking this guy kind of gets it right not kind of that's disrespectful he he gets it he understands he finds and locates targets um the one thing about the college game that i don't know if most fans realize is we all know that the field is different but when you when you look at a quarterback, the hashes are way wider. So yeah. he's going to have to make some harder throws in college than he will in the pros. Because in the pros, you're basically snapping every snap from the middle of the field. In college, right. yeah. the hashes are wide. So if you're on the right, right hash and throw a medium distance out to the left side, it that ball goes a long ways. Yep. This guy zips it like Burt Jones, right? I mean, it is Ooh, I love Burt Jones reference. <laughs> Everybody look up Burt Jones, 1976 MVP, Baltimore yeah. Colts. Okay. He is on. He's throw things on a rope, and it made me say "wow" a couple times. And not yeah. that that's the sole judge for me, but I'll watch a lot of tape on a lot of players, and I find myself kind of ho humming through a lot of it. But when I even stop myself and write down "wow" in my notes, that's that gets my attention. I saw it a lot with Caleb Williams. One of the reasons I'm not big on Drake May is I really didn't see any wows from Drake May. So, and again, I'm not saying Drake May won't be a good pro. He 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 might. He's just not my flavor. I, I guess yeah. all I'm saying is, and I'm long-winded in getting here, is that yeah. I like the J.J. McCarthy flavor with what I know right now. So take it for what it's worth. Tune in to the playoff games. Um, I yeah. think some teams are going to have a really hard decision. And if I see it, I know NFL teams see it because I happen to be yeah. around those NFL teams before. <laughs> and I think <laughs> they will see the same thing. And yeah. it'll be exciting. It'll be exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we've we have talked about May maybe being a little overrated in some of the early discussions. Uh, you know, nothing against him, but you're looking no. at certain things and and the traits you're looking at with uh, JJ McCarthy appeal to you in a in a manner that makes you say, hmm, okay, if this checks yeah. out, we could be really comfortable going in that direction. And then, like you said, who knows once we get through the process deeper, especially if he plays well. Yeah, uh, against really, and good that's a big caveat. He's got to do that. He's got to play yeah. well in these playoff games because he's he's a sophomore. He's a redshirt sophomore. But the fact that he has he's completing seventy four percent of his passes this year, Mike, uh-huh. and in his career he's got forty six touchdowns and eleven picks. There's enough body of work there to to comb through. Um, but you're also talking about a kid that can't even order a beer yet. He's not twenty one and won't be till mid January. So all of those are pluses in my mind. All of them. And I think he's kind of a secret. And I think NFL NFL people, if they ever listen to this podcast, and I don't know why they would, but if they do, they might be cringing that we're even talking about him. Because I think this no. is one of those cases where yeah. if I can just keep him under the radar and keep people from talking about him, I might be able to sneak and get him in the top 10 somewhere. I just don't think that's going to be real at the end of the day. I think they're going to have to be a little richer uh, up the up the food chain to get a guy like McCarthy. 
Yeah, you know, he could have bought alcohol in Idaho years ago. Remember, it used to be 19, <laughs> 19 was the limit. You could drive across. Oh, is that right? I didn't, I didn't know that. I mean, I, <laughs> I know you knew that. They, they didn't card anybody back then anyway, so you were okay. Yeah. Well, I was gray at 22, so I, I looked the part probably at 19 growing up in Idaho. So. Were you gray at how old? How, <laughs> no, how, no, no, no. No, I was just going to say. My, my uh, grandpa uh, was, I had a grandpa like that who was like gray from age 30. Luckily, I'm not, but. Yeah. When I went to the Saints, when I went to the Saints and I was 38, I think at the time, Uh I Uh had started to turn gray a little bit. When Uh I left the Saints, I was fully gray. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You want to get gray hair a couple years in the GM chair, we'll do that to you, won't it? No doubt. So, and you guys went to turn it around right away and went to the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> it's a grind. So, like I said earlier, it's a grind. Yeah, Trust me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I get yeah. it. <laughs> hey, uh, great column, by the way. There's other nuggets in there, so we can get to some of those as we get further along in the process. But be sure to check that out. It's a great first look, at least for me, some of the prospects and what Randy sees and what he thinks is important. Um, I wrote this week about Jordan Love and the Packers situation with him. Of course, we're, we're well aware of the comparisons to Aaron Rodgers in terms of how the Packers have gone about trying to find their next quarterback and some of the uh some of the uh, comparisons are 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 pretty stunning in terms of uh statistical production and where they rank at the same points in their careers uh yet when Aaron Rodgers was at this exact point in his third season or in in his first season as the starter 2008 the Packers wasted no time they did a, a deal with him I think in the seventh or eighth week of the season made him a top five paid quarterback between Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. And this year, the uh, the Packers could have done something on a higher level with, uh, with Jordan Love and have not. There's some limitations for them because they did rework his deal in May. I think they could, they could, if they're going to, if they're going to change the cap number uh, on it, I think in 2024, they would, they would have to wait until uh, May of next year, but they could, they could have still done something this year, and they may still do something after the season. And I know you have advocated doing that. What do you think about where they're at with him? Don't have a great team record. He's shown some flashes, a lot of young guys around him. Where are you at on Jordan Love? I think the points you've made are all valid, and I would confirm this by saying I think what the Packers have done to this date with him is right on. I think everybody's in line, at least – with what my line of thinking would be. Um, let's don't forget, this guy is a first-year starter. It, it, is a, it is a little different in deciding to pay Aaron Rodgers $10 million and and comparing that to paying Jordan Love $40-plus million. So it's, it's different. The money's different. So I can see the hesitation. You want to make sure. I get it. Um, you, there's no coming back from, you know, over committing that kind of dollars let's just say there it is but it, it definitely sets your yeah. franchise back so they want to make sure if you're wrong that. yeah yes um the, the different world for me is that he presents challenges because it's the first season he's had to experience ups downs um the plane won't be smooth but i think i've seen enough of his skill set to know that all the physical stuff are there i love the fact that he seems to be even keel I like that in my quarterback. I don't see a lot of erratic or a ton of emotion, um, good or bad. Yeah. I've yep. always said that Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, those guys have perfect intangibles for the job. I think Jordan is a little bit like that. Um, I think his skill level, I think the talent is there. His skill level is a work in progress. Uh, but to find all the talent that you want, I think will be challenging elsewhere. So I think the Packers' options will be limited. And I think eventually they're going to have to marry themselves to Jordan Love. What I'd like to see, and I would do this as a GM, I want to see how can we play this cap-wise to be the most advantageous for us to continue to build. As a GM, you're always going to want to add to your team. You're always going to want to get better. We could be 13-4, and and I'm still going to want to tweak and and, and spend some and change some things. And let's try to set this up, if we can, to, to our benefit. Now, we all know that signing a guy, a guy to a long-term deal allows you to plan, and those numbers then are in pen, not in pencil, and allows you to build your team around those numbers. So that's the caveat to start with. I think you can even tweak it more, but I, th- I think he's checked a lot of boxes to where I wouldn't be opposed to uh, having this conversation start in the offseason, and if it carries into the first part of next year, so be it. 
one thing, if you're in the building, you probably know if this is your, you should know more if this is your guy. Like when they're watching Aaron Rodgers in practice and all of that, they, Ted Thompson and those guys are probably like, we got a guy, right? They, they yeah, sort of can no make doubt. the move confidently. So uh, whatever the Packers do, they're going to have a little bit more uh, knowledge. I do think it's interesting, though, the decision makers there have never really been in a situation to miss on a quarterback. <laughs> Everything's worked out great. And so there's this, right. there could be this feeling that, hey, we got our next guy. Let's go. Let's do it now. What, one of the things that's interesting to me philosophically uh, in sort of encouraging the Packers, hey, it's okay to maybe do a deal. You also um, felt it was okay for the Giants to do the Daniel Jones contract. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you thought Daniel Jones was the greatest quarterback, but one of the points you made uh, was, look, um, you're not going to find somebody better most likely, and this is your guy. And like you said, let's, let's start to build and plan around him. And then you also don't want to – sort of get into that situation where you're franchise tagging them and then it freezes some of your assets, right? And you've got a big yeah. number and you've got a, then feelings get involved. We kind of saw that with the Lamar Jackson. It can get a little dicey and suddenly yep. you're, you're trying to work your way out of it. But, but that being said, I got two kind of questions on that. Once you do the deal with a Daniel Jones and a, and a Jordan Love where you commit, how, if at all, does that affect how much you're still looking for a quarterback looking to get better because I'll give an example like like the Chiefs could have been happy with Alex Smith they were a playoff team a winning team uh, and maybe his skill set's different than Jordan Love's but maybe it's similar to Daniel Jones I don't know Um, Mm -hmm. how do you balance that out are you still looking are you still drafting a uh, you know, a Hendon Hooker from Tennessee or somebody if yep. he's available in the third round. How do you do that? Well, I think it's subjective for one thing. I think it depends on the player who you may or may not be trying to replace. And I think it depends on the skill set of what you're looking for. I think a guy like Pat Mahomes, it was evident his skill set was rare. It was okay. also evident that he was, to me, going to be an advancement of the Alex Smith uh yeah, you know, positioning as your quarterback. So that one was a little bit easier for me. There are, I don't want to say every other year, but every three or four years, there may be a, a guy like that where you can say this clearly is what we're looking for. Now yeah. we've got to mold him. I actually think that's what the Packers saw three years ago. <clears throat> they saw the loose arm of, of Jordan Love. They saw his ability to make throws off platform, to create things and throws that, 80% of the guys in the league can't make. So when you see that, Caleb Williams, maybe J.J. McCarthy, maybe uh, the LSU kid, these yeah, these type knows. of talents or set of talents then have to be molded into playing at a high skill level. That's the challenge. It, you just want to grab one of those guys. And, and I agree with what Green Bay has always said and the people that have come and gone from Green Bay have always said, the best time to look for a quarterback is when you don't need one. And, and there's a lot of pluses to that. There's also a downside in that when you get a quarterback, you don't play him for three years, and now you're stuck with this decision having only seen him play one year. So right. there's pros and cons to both of that. But for them, the downside was two years of MVP Rodgers. Well, shoot, that's, yeah. we'll take that. You know, that worked out. Otherwise, they would have gone to Jordan Love earlier if, if, if Rodgers had been hurt or just wasn't playing good, you know. And, they, and I've said this, and people are going to criticize me. I, I don't really care. I think they benefited from drafting Jordan Love because I think it upped the game of Aaron Rodgers, who yeah. had not played like an MVP those two years prior to that. And they yeah. had just said, yeah. hey, we got we to gotta look to the future. So yeah, that, that they got him on point. Worth. They got him kind of, yeah. they kind of got him on point and he was surly about it, but he played good. So the, the other point I want to make on the contract with regard to Green Bay and how they should view it, Mike, is yeah. for me, this is when cap guys can be really valuable. And I don't know the cap people or the person at Green Bay, but if I was Brian Gutekunst and and wanted help, this is where I would go. I would want that cap guy to run all the models that what if, what if we do this and how does this fit with the rest of our roster from a cap standpoint? I want to know, what if we took a, a, a hit of 50 million next year? And I, don't, I know they don't have that, so it's not real, but we might create it for one year so that we don't have in three years a $60 million cap or a 50, you know, a, a giant cap hit next year. The traditional quarterback deals always end with $65 million, $68 million at the end of it. What if we can work it to where we used to do this initially when we had to eat up cap room? We would front load contracts. 
so that we would have room on the back end to add more players to it. So all I'm saying is, I don't know that Green Bay can do this, but I would love to have the cap guys with whatever team I was with run all these models. And they have this capability because we had it. Gosh, when I was a GM of the Dolphins, we had it. So I know these other teams have it now. You can run these roster and depth chart what-ifs with a proposed contract in place to give you an idea of where we would be five years from now if we'd made this kind of a deal with Jordan Love. I'd want to see those numbers to see if something wouldn't, we couldn't figure out something that's unique and different because we have a quarterback in the situation he's in. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. It does. Um, and Russ Ball does their uh, does That's their right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Russ, Russ was with the Saints. Yeah. Yeah, Saints. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah right after him. you, I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No more. Um, good yes. good at what he does. Yes. Yes. So um, the second part of this with the cap to me is okay, if we're going to do the deal with Daniel Jones, partly because we don't want to get into the franchise tag thing and just have that, well, let's look how much cap space Daniel Jones contract is going to consume in the future. The next year it's 47, then it's 41, then it's 58. It's like they've, they're franchise tagging them every year now. And I feel like if I'm them, this is an interesting part to me because you had said earlier in the year, the giants don't regret doing the Daniel Jones deal. You said that early in the year. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I, I sort of feel like if I were them, I'd be kind of strategizing to as much to get out of it as I would be to build around them. How do you feel about that? Do you, do you think that, uh, would would you change your view of not regretting having done that deal with him? Well, I think it's one, you have to always have outs if you can build those in. So I totally agree. It's not like Daniel Jones deal was a long-term deal. And when you said earlier, the pro, you probably can't find, a, they exhausted trying to find better. Trust me, they exhausted it. So yeah. in, in Brian Dayball's mind and Joe Shane's mind, they couldn't find better. So there wasn't a doubt. There was no crack there. This was the best we can do. So let's make the best deal we can. And I think in their case, they did this for the shortest amount of time. And don't forget the dynamic of not tagging him was also based on we could tag Barkley. So they had really come up with their two best players on offense at that time and had to solve the Rubik's Cube. And I think they did it. But I do think you have to have um, an exit plan in mind and always be looking for a better option. So I, I know this, and there'll be a lot of Jersey, New York people that say, well, we found him. It's uh, Tommy DeVito or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's not that's not going to happen. That, that's not the option. That, that, they're not going to do that. So we can't say we'd rather have this guy than, than Daniel Jones because that's to me, that's silly. And, and I don't think that's going to happen. But they're going to find it, another option. Trust me. The Giants, I know Joe Shane well enough to know, he's been grinding on this. He's going to find a way to, to find a longer-term option, or they're going to get Daniel to play better, one of the two. They're not going to be sitting here three years from now and not know what they're going to do at quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. And they're going to have a higher draft pick this year, so they may be in the mix to make some considerations, right? Yep. Okay. Let's uh, shift gears. Let's stay in the NFC East. One of the things that uh, one of the randyisms uh, on the show is you're, you're, every team is three games away from a mutiny at all times. You feel that in the GM chair, don't you? <laughs> yeah, we definitely feel it. Trust me. <laughs> so the, the Eagles have had until recently a great, a pretty great season. I mean, they went to the Super Bowl last year. And they came back. I think they were ten and one. You say, hey, they they've solved the post Super Bowl loss hangover. Well, guess what? That hangover has hit. They have lost their last three games, 42-19 to to the 49ers, 33-13 to Dallas, 20-17 to to Seattle, uh, who had lost four in a row themselves. They've demoted their defensive coordinator. Then they watched Drew Locke go 92 yards for the winning touchdown against their new coordinator on defense. Jalen Hurts is talking about the team isn't committed enough. Woo, there's a lot of stuff going on here. What do you make of it, Randy? Panic time? Well, I think the Eagles had been spoiled. I don't think they had run into a skid like this. And I firmly believe that, like you mentioned, every team is about three games away from a good mutiny. And guess what? <laughs> they're, they're, they're experiencing the rest of the way the world lives. And you have to be able to deal with adversity, prosperity, like we say on here a million times. Um, the Eagles have had a ton of change. They have not played well, in my opinion, all year long. They had a lot yeah. of things fall their way. I think the Eagles are at a point where they have to win games a certain way. And comeback, um, cardiac kids, throwing the ball all over the field in the fourth quarter, that's not their way. They control games up front. 
they control the pace of games as well as anybody, but they've had a lot of change in the positions that can control all this stuff. We've said it, new offensive coordinator since last year, new defensive coordinator. Now that's been changed again. Um, it's not like, like Nick Sirianni's got a whole pocket of cards that he can pull out from experience and play either. I'm sure if you asked him, he can tell you he can do some things different. Howie Roseman, the GM, has been around a little longer, but you know Howie, and I have a lot of respect for him. Sometimes he's willing to roll the dice. I used to tell, in fact, I used to tell Mickey this all the time in our years together for many. Mickey Loomis, yeah. Yeah, he'd say, well, you, you don't want to gamble? I said, I have no problem gambling on this decision. I'll tape my ankles whenever we need to. I just don't want to tape them every day. I don't want, and it seems like the Eagles yeah. have, have gambled. They've done a lot of things. They've, they've changed a lot with confidence that they'll make it work no matter what. I think they've just made a couple decisions here that may set them back temporarily, and and they have to live in a, in a world that the rest of the NFL is usually living in on a year-to-year basis. So I'm not ready to panic, to answer your question. I'm not ready to hit the eject button or to change a bunch of stuff. But let's face it, they've got to come out and control games, and they've got to be able to finish games a certain way. And that's what I would look for them to try to do. Um, let's face it, I love Jalen Hurts. Most of our listeners probably do too. He's not a guy that's going to bring you back passing in a two-minute, you know, uh, uh, Matthew Stafford way or Pat Mahomes way or Josh Allen way. That's just not what he does. And their big playability has been compromised, especially the last month. They haven't done things like they have in the past. So I'm sure they miss Shane Steichen. He held people accountable different than Brian Johnson might. So I guess my long-winded answer is just there's been a lot of change. And and they've got to, I think, steady the ship here uh, because there's when you when you hear Jalen Hurts say, like you said, we need better commitment, I just think there was a little panic in his voice there. He didn't really know what to say. I don't think he's criticizing everybody else. I just think he's at a little loss like the rest of them as to what to do to fix the problems. I feel like I've seen this movie before. And we throw a lot of flowers to the Eagles personnel for, oh, best yep. GM in the league and all of that. Um, and so then what happens is uh, when it doesn't live up to uh, it, then the coaches, um, you know, end up paying the price. And I feel like that's happening now with the Sean Desai thing when, to be fair to everybody, and I'm not saying he did a great or bad job coordinating, but we know they've got Achilles heel on defense. We know their back seven's not very good, right? They're, they're compromised at linebacker. They haven't put a bunch of resources into that, and they're having trouble stopping people. Yep. So, um, Especially on third downs, yeah. Especially on third downs. So, uh, But I do feel like uh, they had a ton of staff turnover. Now they're already, th- they're already kind of effectively firing in the season during that, and it's like, okay, what's going to be the fix out of this? Uh, yep. Because I don't – you know, maybe they make a deep playoff run, but I'm not really seeing it. I think it's going to be the season's going to end a little disappointing for them, and there's going to be it'll be interesting to me to see what types of changes are forced, and I bet you they have to do with the coaching staff. I just would hate to see them keep making changes in during the season. So I concur with everything you're saying, yeah, and and, yeah. and maybe you agree with what I'm saying. I just think the changes need to come to a stop, and we need to do better. Everybody needs to do better in the roles that they're in. Let's don't yeah. make any more heads roll. We've already changed a lot of things. We, I think you point out exactly on defense what their problems are. Um, they yeah. have some guys that can't run like they used to and got exposed, and especially when it comes to sub packages. We've got to do better at that. How about this? We put them in positions where they don't get run by. And we do some things a little different. Maybe we have to play more press to keep people from running by. We have to get our hands on them quicker so that they don't yeah hit side pocket throws like DK Metcalf and Drew Locke did last week. So there's enough to work on internally that we don't need to doubt ourselves and keep making changes. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Yep. Hey, are you all in on Buffalo again here? What do you think? They've beaten the Chiefs, Cowboys, every all everything good in Orchard Park? I believe that Buffalo is is a team nobody wants to play. I think they've galvanized themselves a little bit behind the criticism of the coach. I don't know how real that is, but it's working temporarily. I think the first time they hit a skid, we may see some of the fingers come back to start pointing it at uh, McDermott. I just think that's that's the way that's going to go with him and his personality. So he may have to always operate as if this is us against the world, and that's fine. Um, but I do think you got to give Joe Brady some credit for what he's doing. I loved 
Josh Allen's comment after the game last week when he said, I feel like I just did a class project and got an A and I didn't do anything, had no input in the class project at all. That's an awesome quote. He completed seven passes. So absolutely love it. Um, I I think Buffalo's going to be a hard out. I really do. I mean, look at who they beat the last two weeks. They don't have any fear of, of of these good teams. They know they can do it. Just a matter of if they can pull it off, especially if they're going to run the ball like they did with James Cook last week. Yes, and we I think a, multiple things can be true here. We did think that Ken Dorsey was scapegoated by McDermott when the yeah. defense was really the problem. But that doesn't mean that Joe Brady can't hasn't done some good things and maybe hundred percent maybe has done uh, maybe and that maybe they could be better off right now. Certainly the way that they played with. Uh, being able to run the ball, love the Josh Allen sort of self-aware quote. I just liked yep. that a lot. Um, yep. Now, that all being said, I think they're a similar team that they've been, and I think the problem they will get will be the same. I think their problem is when it's a close game. And I think that they mismanaged the end of the Kansas City game, and they screwed up the clock bad. Mm-hmm. And they, that would have been the death knell game if it wasn't for, Probably. if officials were not so good at calling offensive offsides, which is, you know, <laughs> which everybody always wants to have called all the time. Been <laughs> screaming for years. Can we, God, can these guys line it, up it right? It should be a point of emphasis. It really should. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that call let them off the hook for issues that I think are still there. So when they're rolling, it's kind of, when they're rolling, they, they can beat anybody by a lot. Yep. But they're going to be down the stretch or in the playoffs at some point. They're going to be in one of those, in those games again. And if they can get over the hump then and not have to be bailed out by incredible, uh, you know, by a call or something like that, um, they will have cleared a hurdle. Otherwise, I think that they are kind of what they've been through this whole time, a tough team to play. They're tough, but they yeah. go in ebbs and flows and they have – three or four games with, where they're not turning it over, and we think they're amazing. And then they have three or four games where they're turning it over all over the place. I just don't think that you change your personality forever. And so when's it coming back? When's that going to happen again? How do they react then is sort of what I want to see. Yeah, I agree with you. I also think they're a team that builds and, and feeds off their own confidence or not. And when they're yeah. confident, they they play better. And that comes from the quarterback and, and that gunslinger mentality. When he's running over people and doing things that nobody else can do, they all feed off of that. So that's, I hope, not going to change. He just has to be fairly cautious with some of his attempts to make big plays. Uh, there, This is not a super talented team on the perimeter. I know we talk about Diggs. If you ask me, Coach, I don't think Diggs has had a great year. I see Diggs is making a few drops. I don't like the body language at times, and he's become a little bit of an excuse maker. I think he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think he's having a phenomenal year. And that perimeter crew around him probably needs to be massaged because of it. So that these are things that will be taken care of in the offseason. But what they have, they have talent to, to beat anybody. So that hey. being said, uh, Buffalo, if they get in, has just as good a chance as anybody, I think, to ride it to the end. Hey, when they sign that receiver or draft him next offseason, I'll be checking all the social media accounts of Diggs to see how supportive he is of that. I'm sure he would welcome someone else to come in and get some touches, don't you yeah. think? <laughs> yeah, that'll go over like a lead balloon. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what the shelf life is there. Uh, it be a delicate situation for sure. They're a little bit of a delicate team, but uh, yep. good for them the last couple of weeks because it really could have gone the other way, and you do have to give them credit uh, for yep. the way that they've played. Loved it against Dallas last week. Just really took it to them. Sorry, Cowboy fans, but that was an awesome game for them. And they should 49 be runs, it. 49 yeah. runs, pushing them all over the field. It's impressive. And it, the style in which they did it by yeah. just imposing their will. Um, yeah, it was, I, I, it, it was definitely revealing of what is possible for them. Yep, absolutely. Hey, let's dive into the GM notebook and then we'll talk about uh, We'll before we get into the picks, I wanted to we'll preview a couple of these games: Dallas, Miami, Baltimore, San Francisco. I think there's some interesting stuff there, but let's get into the GM notebook first. Sure, there's a couple of things that we haven't talked about yet that probably warrant bringing up. The biggest one for me that I saw during the week that I've tried to understand, and I'm not saying it's crazy, but I just don't really understand it, was the Jets' activation of Aaron Rodgers to their active roster. Uh-huh. Um, I've tried to make sense of that, and maybe you can help me out, but. Uh, those of you that don't know, the Jets activated him and gave him a spot on their 53. To do that, they had to release another player who they hope to get back on the practice squad. They may have done that by the time this airs. Um, the only thing that can make sense to me about doing this is that it does clear 
the decks for Aaron to practice full speed if that's what they choose for another three weeks or to the end of their season. Um, yeah, I mean, how many reps are you going to get him? That, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Maybe he runs the scout team the whole time. I don't know if we're trying to send a message of hope, more hope for next year, and that's why we're doing it. It just You're not going to play this guy. Um, I've never seen a roster spot taken up at the end of a season by a player who you knew was not going to play. Usually you are valuing those, and I see other teams doing this. You're valuing those roster spots to bump up oh, yeah. a guy that's been on your practice squad all year long that you can then control his rights and give him a little bone of three weeks and get his year of pension in. So there's a lot of ways to use roster spots. I just I, I don't understand why giving Rodgers one makes a lot of sense, but the only advantage I can see is he gets to yeah. practice for three weeks, whatever that's worth. If you yeah, see it that different, could, help me out. That could be worth something. I think it's mattered to him to have be able to say he made it back, yeah. right? Remember, Whatever. he yeah. predicted he'd come <laughs> yeah. back. I think he's been invested in that narrative. And then he runs; he's running their team. So kind of whatever he wants to do, if he wants to be active, that's prob- they're probably not going to sit down and say, we want to get yeah, we want to do this or that for this special teams guy or something, uh, would be my guess. So uh, there could be some value, though, in the in some sort of practice component to it, I suppose. You would know that better than me, though. You're out of practice more than I have been. Would I, I just can't envision there would be a lot of reps when you're trying to get ready for a game, you know, like we're going to have a side practice or something, right? He could throw on his own anyway. He could throw with a... What what would he be allowed to do if he was not on the roster? Could he throw with some of your receivers off to the side? Or no, he can't do anything. He would have had to do individual work only, and I don't believe he could do it as a, and within the full yeah. team at all. So yeah. that 21-day window when he could practice has expired. So this allows yeah. him to do whatever. He can run full 11-on-11, yeah. 11 11, but I just didn't see a lot of value in that. I, I just thought, what are we trying to do here? And, and you're probably right. Maybe it was a personal goal of his to say he came back from this. Um, I don't know why I'm Jets suspicious been... of him having an agenda. I don't know why I'm suspicious <laughs> yeah. of that. But I, don't, I don't know. It just didn't make sense to me. And, and I feel for the practice squad guy that's trying to get a year on his pension um, versus trying to take care of a diva quarterback who, you know, wants to do this or that uh, to send some other message. I want him to run scout. This week, you're Sam Howell. Next week, you're Joe <laughs> Flacco. And the week after that, you're Bailey Zappi. Can you imitate these guys for us, Aaron? <laughs> there you go. You have to throw that's left-handed. as good as it gets. You have to yeah. throw left-handed oh. to do that. So, all right, what, what else? What else you got in the notebook? <laughs> One other note I had is we've heard and seen the Steelers' issues this week, mainly coming from their wide receiver group again. Oh um, yeah, this has been going on for several years in their receiver room. We've seen um, others, whether it was Deontay Johnson, whether it was Claypool, who they sent on his way. Just yeah. seems to me like the concern here is is an issue uh, culturally. Antonio Brown going back before yeah, that. Yeah, Antonio Brown. I just think a lot of these, and, and we hit on some accountability issues earlier, that I just think the locker room needs to do something about it as much as anybody. But I did have one interesting idea. and I, I hear analysts talk about what they should do with this, and everybody says, this shouldn't happen. Uh, Heinz Ward would never do this, and they bring up great receivers from the past. I think there's one way to fix it. Hire Heinz Ward as your core, as your receiver coach. <laughs> he's free. Yeah. He's a coach. And I know that because he spent time coaching the San Antonio team in the XFL. Um, maybe that's in, too easy, but I could sure make some sense of oh, Heinz I would Ward love walking that. in the room and, and trying to sort it out. Oh, my gosh. Wouldn't you love to see the film session when these yeah. guys are langu- languishing around and not making effort plays? Yeah. I mean, he oh, might hurt somebody. He might, but it might be what they need. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, he's, I would love it. Go he's over been used as fans. an example of this would never happen. Just hire him to oversee what they got going in that room. What's so <laughs> funny about all this is that Mike Tomlin is a wide receiver. We think of him as defensive yeah. coach, but he was a college wide receiver. He broke into coaching as a uh, as a receiver coach. So yeah. he, you know, obviously, he's coaching the whole team. He's not even a he's not the play caller. He's coaching the whole team, but. Uh, and we perceive him to be this uh, enforcer of culture, right? That's one of his strengths uh, on the team. And yet this is happening in the receiver room year after year after year. And you played wide receiver. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. They got to do something there. Uh, anything else in the notebook? No, I think that's it. We talked a little yeah. bit about the Bears in previous uh, yeah. segments here. And, and they've got obviously some tough decisions to make. So yeah, we we'll can... see how that shakes out. They've got a coach to decide, an OC to decide, a, a quarterback mm-hmm. to decide on. There's some futures at stake here the next three weeks. I always said that let's have our vision 
for what we want to be on offense made from an organizational standpoint. And what do yeah. we want to do? And this really speaks to and, and about Kevin Warren, their president. He's got to decide what he views uh, as what kind of an offense do we want to run. I said it's more complicated than just if we want Justin Fields or not. We've got we've hired Luke Getze, and I don't know him from, from Adam, right? But yeah. he came from Green Bay, as you pointed out in one of our earlier calls, that to run a certain offense. Doesn't seem like they're running that now. Um, Let's run well, no, what our coaches adapted. want to run and what our vision as an organization is. And let's use the quarterback that best suits that with his skill set. So nothing against Fields. You know, I've been a supporter of his from day one. I think the progress has been up and down, not all his fault. But I just think, what well, what kind of offense do we want to run? Uh, if, if the decision is Caleb Williams fits that skill set that we need better or somebody else, right, let's right. go with that route. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love what you're saying because if if you have Justin Fields, you do need to tailor it to him. That's what good yes. coaching is. Yes. But as we step back now and maybe have some other options, what you're saying is let's assess because look, let's face it, Justin Fields hasn't played well enough that we have to stick with him and his no. style of play. We have to now reassess and say, okay, how do we want to play? What's our brand of ball going to look like? And is there a different, better option than Justin yeah. Fields to do that? And yep. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Because it, it has been an uncomfortable fit. I think Luke Getzey was criticized correctly early on in the Justin Fields tenure because uh, they were trying to run the Green Bay offense and it wasn't going to work with him. And then, then well, guess he what? That's what Luke Getzey wants to run. <laughs> that's what he's done to make his living. So that's crazy too. Right. Yeah. 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 It is. But it, it, the whole thing was just a little bit of a misfit uh, from the beginning. Yes. And. But they also wanted to see if Justin Fields could do that. And he obviously right. it wasn't a great fit early on. Then there were other issues with their line and the weapons, but they've added a couple of pieces. I kind of feel like just staying on this Chicago for one second, um, I feel like it's a real interesting job. If, if, if they were to make a change at head coach, um, uh, I would find it to be a sneakily attractive place because of they've got some draft picks. They've got they've added a couple pieces in DJ Moore and Montez Sweat. You could say what you want about the Sweat trade. Should they have done it? Should they have paid him? But guess what? He's a good player for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now with those picks and maybe being able to get the quarterback of your choice in the draft and be in Chicago, a great football town with a really great tradition of football, that's kind of cool. You know, that, I'm Matt Eberflus doesn't want to give this thing up. <laughs> no. There is no team that is better equipped to retool than the Chicago Bears. And some of that, you have to credit Ryan Poles for making a deal last year. Although, you know, he did pass on C.J. Stroud. The fact is they have tools with two top five picks as we sit here right now. Multiple picks still coming from from other areas, from other teams. Um, They have a lot of tools. They have a quarterback that's probably, um, probably valuable to somebody else. So my point is, there's a, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of tools that they can use to build this team. And you mentioned a great point. If it, if it is a new coach, let's just take it one step further. Be, kind of remember our earlier conversation. Let's say they did hire a Jim Harbaugh. Who might you think he would want to push as his quarterback? Well, Jim Harbaugh <laughs> could bring in Greg Roman and get put Justin Fields over the top. You're going to say J.J., I don't think he's going to do that, Mike. Trust me. I don't think yeah. that's going to He's going to bring in JJ. <laughs> well, I don't know who he's going to bring in, but I'm, I'm just, we're, we're playing fantasy world, right? And so yeah, yeah. <laughs> my yeah. guess is that he, he might want the one he's been coaching for the last three or four years. So I don't that know. That would be just, interesting. Just, just, yeah. a, just a topic for discuss down the road. That's all. That would be interesting. Yeah. I, oh, you know, <laughs> you know, Jim Harbaugh would love to coach the Bears. Oh, I mean, are you come kidding on. me? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's great. Good one. Well, that w- we were barely going to touch on that one in the GM notebook. It ended up being very interesting. So let's get. Well, to maybe the we can just skip the pick section then and just move on. Oh my on. gosh! Well, we have, <laughs> we've had real hit and miss weeks where we're four and zero, then we're zero and four. Maybe it's just been that type of season, or you know what? Maybe that's just the way picking against the spread is, and that's maybe why there's all those shiny buildings in Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, uh, for sure, because it is hard to do with with the point spread involved. But it's fun to do, and sometimes we look at these sure. games, and even if you miss the spread, your feel was sort of correct that, okay, this team's going to play it close or, or, or whatever. Before we get into those, Dallas-Miami, let's hit that. What's interesting to you? That's a big game. Well, it's big for both teams, obviously. The, the narrative around Dallas is they can't win on the road. 
I got news for you. They could have played the game against Buffalo down here at the city park in a little town where I grew up in. They could have played it yeah. at the Taj Mahal, wherever that is. They could have played it anywhere, right? I don't think the results would have mattered. So we can say they can't win on the road. That's that's for real. History shows it. There's no evidence that they can, that's for sure. But unless they tighten up what they do, especially on defense, and play things in a different manner that actually allows them to adjust, they're going to get lit up again. Miami, as you know, has explosive offense, but they also, when they are rolling, can run the ball. And so I think it's a fascinating side of the ball to look at is Dan Quinn versus Mike McDaniel. And the games that I, you know, I have no idea what's going to happen here, but this one has my attention because of that. I think you know what you're going to get with with Dak. You know what you're going to get. They're going to score some points on offense, Dallas is. Um, I think the the part that I don't know how the matchups are going to go yet is McDaniel against Quinn, and it's going to be fun. I love Fangio against yeah. Dallas after Fangio sort of took Dallas to, to the woodshed a few years ago. I know it's a different offense, but our uh, different coordinator with McCarthy. Uh, the other thing about the Cowboys on the road, okay, They've been underdogs three times yeah. this year, the yeah. Cowboys, and those are the games they lost at San Francisco, at Philly, and at Buffalo. So like you said, like I don't know that there's some yeah. magic trick to the home or road. It's just, hey, they weren't expected to win three of those, and they right. lost them. And that's just the way it goes when you go on the road against Well, teams, they kind of got so. beat down, so that takes a little bit of the emphasis of the yeah. narrative as well. Yeah. They, they weren't close yeah. in the 49er game. They weren't close yeah. in the Buffalo game. Yeah. And I'll save Baltimore or San Francisco for the picks because I'm okay, going to pick cool. that game. Uh what are you going to pick this well, week? Well, as you said, and, and I'll, I'll double down on it. Last week was a disaster for me. I'm a couple games under 500 now. Um, I'm going to pick a couple offbeat games for me this week. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. And, and I, I was initially going to pick the Jaguars. They're getting three points against Tampa. And you pointed out to me that they may be without their quarterback. I'm still going to pick the Jaguars. I just feel like Jacksonville has more talent. Okay. Um, I think they don't always uh -huh. play to that high skill level. Um, I think their defense is kind of feeling itself right now. And I do think they can carry the day in the matchup with Tampa. So I like the points. I think if Tampa does win the game, um, it, it might be by not much. I think it will be a close game. So I'm going to take the three points and take the Jaguars. I'm also going to take Green Bay at Carolina. I think last week's Carolina win for me was more of a indictment of where Atlanta was and how they played. Um, I think yeah. Green Bay is desperate. They've got to pull out all stops. Obviously, the defensive coordinator is under duress, under scrutiny. I think Joe Burry will do better because of that, um, and I like them. Uh, Green Bay is a five-point favorite at Carolina. Yeah, I like yeah. that game, and I am going to pick a third game. And and ooh, yeah. a third game. Not it's not on our sheet here. This is sneaking one in. What do you got? I'm going to take the Colts over Atlanta. The Colts are two-point underdogs. I trust Shane Steichen. I just think. Him versus Arthur Smith for me is 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 a good bet. I like Minshew over Heineke. And so, as they say, I'm going to live and die by the quarterbacks here. And, and I'm getting points, so I'm going to take the Colts as well. I really like that one, too. I think that's good. I think that's a good pick. Now, Jacksonville, what's interesting to me about them is they've lost three in I a know. row, Randy. Yep. I know the... The injury situation with uh, Trevor Lawrence will factor into this, but this is a team that really had high expectations, and they're eight and six, and they're going to play Tampa, Carolina, Tennessee. So realistically, they could be a ten and seven team, which isn't the end of the no. world. But you know, if you end up losing five of your final six and go quietly into the night in the first round, I think there's some questions asked there in the off season that could be interesting, yep. right? I mean, I don't know that there's going to be any big changes, but but there that would be disappointing, I think, from where they were last year. I agree. So. I just um, think they're more desperate because of all that. And I just think they're at a point yeah, now where yeah. they've got to bow up or shut up. And this is yeah. it. Yeah. That's what we got to do with our picks. <laughs> yeah. We got to bow up or shut up with these picks. And we're going to be shutting up pretty quick here if we have another week like last week. But uh, I think I'll take San Francisco and give the five and a half against Baltimore. I think they might run the ball on the Ravens. I thought it was interesting that the Rams were able to do that and kind of started out. I think they didn't they run on the first nine plays of the game or something like that. I wonder if. You know, sometimes there's differences in the run schemes and how that works. Can San Francisco do that? I'm sort of saying that they can. Uh, what do you think about that yeah, game? I mean, obviously, it's a great game. A lot of people see it as a Super Bowl preview. Um, I do like Baltimore's defense, but I'll be honest, I like San Francisco's better. So I'm with you. I think San Francisco wins the game. Um, just yeah. so many ways yeah. to beat you, and I think the run game really matters. And I say that, and, and I love what Lamar's doing. 
Um, but I just think, you know, do, they, yeah. don't forget Baltimore has lost the fast kid, the 34, the running back to an ACL last week. Yeah. And he was the one yeah. guy that they had back there to me that gave them some extra juice. They don't have that now. And so I'm with you on the 49er pick. And, and losing, you know, losing Mark Andrews. I mean, they've really lost, you know, a lot mm-hmm. there. And so I think they're probably a little bit easier to defend and, and uh, you know, as good as, as, as well as Lamar is even playing and making this transition to this offense. I don't know. I think this could be a game where he gets put in a little bit more of the obvious pass situations. Mm-hmm. And I think he's better equipped to handle that than he has been in the past through the weaponry and probably his own maturation. Yep. But... I don't think it's how you want to play right. <laughs> uh, against the 49ers. So we'll see. Maybe Ravens can do that to Brock Purdy, too, and, and we can say the same thing. But I'm going to go with the 49ers. I'll give the five and a half. We'll see how that goes. I'm going to pick two other underdogs getting a lot of points. I think I'll take the Giants in 13 and a half at Philly. Uh, the Giants lost 22 to 16 uh, final game of the season last year to Philly. And I'll just trust Wink Martindale to maybe contain the Philadelphia offense, which is its own worst enemy right now. I think they're they're just a little bit easier to defend. So the thirteen and a half, to me, like it wouldn't surprise me in a division game if it was if the Eagles won by ten or something like that. And maybe the thirteen and a half helps me gets me over the top. Gotcha. What do you think? Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm not, a kind of yeah. waffling on that one. I'm not a. Tommy DeVito guy to score many points, but I understand where they're at. I do think it's a lot of points. 13 and a half is is a pretty good cushion at NFL levels. I think at some point Philly's going to give a a beating to somebody. I I don't know if it's going to be these guys or not, but I just think at some point they're they're fixing to come out and reestablish themselves. So I don't know. I I can see 13 and a half being a lot of points, though. I get you. But it is at Philly, So, and I'm with you on DeVito. I mean, I'm not buying any of that, but... I just had to take 13 yep. and a half in a division game. The other one, I'll you know, I could regret all of these picks. Like <laughs> we both could. Last week. But but I'm intrigued with, I'll take the Patriots in seven at Denver. I just think we have a couple coaches that are playing it close to the vest. You know, New England hung with Kansas City. They beat Pittsburgh by three. They lost to the Herbert Chargers, the Giants, Indy, and Washington, I think, by yep. a combined 16 points or something like that, you know, four games by 16. So I don't know that they're going to win the game, but I, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, both coaches sort of trying to minimize mistakes, playing conservatively, uh, really relying on turnovers from the other team to get anything going. It wouldn't surprise me if each team turned it over a couple times and maybe gave short fields and, and we ended up with a, a close game that, may, you know, maybe Denver wins it, but maybe the seven points gives me a a chance to, to be okay. I'm with one. you on that. I think style of play matters a lot. And in this case, I think, yeah. and I mean, I spent time with Nick Saban. I know how he thinks. I think I know how Bill thinks. Um, when they're defending a team whose impetus is in the box, in other words, running the ball, uh, seven man, eight man yeah. boxes, they do really good at that. And that doesn't, doesn't scare Belichick, didn't scare Saban. That's the way Sean Payton has to play. Uh, and I don't. I just think yeah. that plays into what you're saying. It plays into New England's strategy and their strength. So uh, I wouldn't doubt uh, seven points. Uh, yeah. I'm kind of with you there. Yeah, and I'll add Indy plus two. I mean, I, I like that one too. And you bring awareness to it. I think is uh, kiss of death for you. I'm gonna if I pick that, it means it's, it, what's going to happen is the Colts are going to win by uh, one yeah. now. I've had a few of those. Giving yeah. two. Yeah, yeah, uh, but I do kind of like that as well. I do, now Atlanta should be in a more desperate situation, but I just feel like I feel like they're a little broken yep. right now. I agree, and um, I just like where Indy's going and, and the sort of the mojo and the energy. And I, I'm big on Steichen too. I think he's done a great job. So uh, that's where I'll go with those four picks. I think if I were to get all four right, I, I would go above 500 at least. But we know that ain't yeah. happening. Hey, you so. never know. Uh, we're due. I'm going to say we're due at some point. That's what they, I mean, what the heck last week I had Chicago and, and three points and they're, they're rolling. And then I get a push out of it. I mean, come on, (laughs) this gambling stuff is brutal. We don't do it for a living. No wonder I don't do it with real money. Oh my (laughs) goodness. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to afford the internet service we're using to record this thing. So, all right. right. You got anything else? I'm going to hang it up and enjoy these games this weekend. Yeah. Going to be great. Okay. Everybody happy holidays to you. And Randy, likewise, we'll talk to everybody next week on the Football GM Podcast. This was the Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast.